Hello, everyone. This is the 11th episode of Bible Beyond. And today we're going to be discussing God's anger and his favor. Our passage comes from Psalm 30, verses 1 through 5. It says, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Today we're going to be learning about God's anger, his favor, what they have to do with each other, and how they're actually necessary for us to be children of God. All this and more on Bible Beyond. You know, there really aren't many things that most people agree about. But I do think that one of the very few things that most of us do agree about is how we view God's anger. I think it's safe to say that most of us don't like God's anger. We'd rather not have God be angry with us. If we're given the choice between God being angry with us or Him not being angry with us, the vast majority of us, the majority of the time, would choose God to not be angry with us. We don't like the fact that God has anger. And this manifests itself in one of two ways. A lot of the time, people are afraid of God's anger. And frankly, this is pretty understandable. If we go back to the passage that we're studying, which is Psalm 30... We can see that these people who God is angry with, they're in Sheol. They're the ones who go down to the pit. Which, if you're unfamiliar with that terminology, it's basically hell. It's separation from God. And it's the consequence that those who God is angry at are facing. They face serious detrimental consequences when God is angry at them. So, Again, it's frankly pretty understandable why people would be afraid of God's anger. But there are other people who, interestingly, they're actually angry about God's anger. They think that they don't deserve the punishment that God deals out. They don't deserve his judgments. They don't deserve to go down to Sheol, down to the pit. And because of that, they're mad about God's anger and what it's done to them. But again, either way, it's safe to say that none of us really enjoy God's anger. None of us sit down and take the time to marvel in the fact that God is angry with us. No, of course not. We don't like the fact that God is angry with us. 
And interestingly, I think that the worst part about this is not the fact that God is angry with us, but the fact that God's anger is justified. Because the truth is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are deserving of God's anger, and his anger is justified. But I actually think that those who truly understand the full extent of God's anger are actually thankful for his anger. I think it's possible that instead of being mad or afraid about God's anger, we can actually really appreciate it as a core characteristic of who he is. But in order to understand this, I want to delve more into the idea of justified and unjustified anger. Most of you out there, if you've ever owned a car for any long period of time, you've probably experienced road rage. I mean, I I hope that you yourself haven't been in the position where you're having road rage, but we've all seen it on the road with other people. They're getting very upset about the traffic and what's going on around them. In fact, I remember one day I was walking across this intersection, and it was just incredibly congested. You know, there was traffic everywhere. The cars couldn't move at all. It was just a terrible situation for the vehicles that were there. And as I was uh, crossing uh, the very end of the intersection, I was almost at the other end of the sidewalk, I saw one guy, he had gotten out of his car, and he began screaming and cursing and you know, making slightly rude hand gestures. This, uh, I think it's something that most of us have seen before. And this is an example of unjustified anger. Because the offense committed against this person did not warrant his response. Because think about it, the, the people in the other cars haven't really done anything on purpose to make his life more inconvenient. In fact, they're all sitting there suffering through the same situation that he is. And yet, his reaction is as if someone has committed a great wrong against him. And because of that, we can say that his anger is unjustified. That said, there are some situations where anger is justified. I remember that one time when I was pretty young, my dad took me golfing. And that should have been a lot of fun, but I kept getting really frustrated about, you know, the shots I was making. I kept, you know, having a bad attitude about the experience. And, you know, at one point, you know, I hit a bad shot and I, you know, the very club that my dad had gotten for me. And at a certain point, my dad said, okay, we're going home. So that's what we did. We we packed up, we got in the car and we left and he expressed his disapproval of my actions. And in this case, I think we can all agree that, you know, that anger my dad had was justified. Because he had done something nice, he had spent the money on golf, he had taken time away from his other activities to go and play with me. And because I, you know, I wasn't really thankful at all, the offense committed warrants my dad's response. 
So in this case, we can say that his anger was justified. And this is a very important distinction in order to understand God's anger to the fullest extent. So this leads to the question, is God's anger justified? Does his anger fall into the category of my dad's or the guy with road rage in the street? Well, Psalm 711 says that God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. Now, when the psalmist says that God feels indignation, it means that God has a desire, a yearning, to make what is wrong right. In other words, he sees the evil in his creation, he sees what's wrong with it, and he wants to make it correct. He wants to bring it back to perfection. So why then should we be thankful for his anger? Well, I think that the most convincing reason and the most important reason is the fact that his anger is necessary for our salvation. If God saw nothing wrong with our sin, then he also wouldn't see a need to save us from it. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And this is great, the fact that, you know, we once were old, but now we're new. Now we can have a relationship with God. That's great. But it never would have happened if God wasn't angry at our sin. If he didn't want to make his creation perfect, then he wouldn't see a need to sacrifice his son in order to separate us from our sin. Surely there can't possibly be another good reason for him to sacrifice his son. Only if he did see what was wrong with our sin, only if he did feel indignation, only if he did want to make us a new creation, would he have sacrificed his son. And only then could we be saved. And not only that, but even if we were saved, God wouldn't see a need to protect us from evil. Again, coming back to Psalm 30, it says in verse 1, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. But if we are Christian, then who are our foes? Well, at least in David's case, the foes that he faced in his lifetime were those who hated God. They were those who didn't want to see God's plan work out in his life, and they sought to harm him. But if God made no distinction between good and evil, if he didn't desire to make uh, what is bad correct again, if he didn't feel that indignation then there would be no need for him to intervene and to keep our foes from rejoicing over us. So not only could he uh, be unable to save us in the first place, but even if we were saved, he wouldn't be able to protect us from the evil in this world. So as we can see, God's anger, although it may seem on the surface like it's very inconvenient, like it's 
detrimental to our salvation. It's actually necessary for us to know God. But that's just the first half of the story. I think, again, in order to have a more full, extensive view of God's anger, we also have to understand his favor. Psalm 30 verse 5 says, For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Now, from this verse, Psalm 30 verse 5, I think we learn two things about God's favor. The first is that God's favor is certain. Just as the sun is certain to rise tomorrow, just as the sun was certain to rise yesterday, God's favor is certain no matter the circumstance. And I'm actually really excited for this point because I I think this is a rare situation where I can actually prove very persuasively that God's favor is certain. So here's what I'm going to do. Right now, I'm recording this Uh, let's see, on the 26th of September. And you, if you're listening to this right now, you are listening to this on a date past the 27th of September of 2021. Which means that you will know if the sun has risen on the 28th. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make the prediction that on the 28th of September of 2021, the sun rose. Now, I want you to take a minute. I want you to go to the nearest window and see if it's true. Did the sun rise just as I predicted it would? Well, it may be that the sun did rise, in which case I was right and God's favor is certain, or Jesus came back to earth, in which case, well, that's really inconvenient for my argument. But for the purposes of this episode, I'm going to assume that the sun did rise on the 28th. And that's because it's been rising for thousands of years. There's no reason to think that it wouldn't rise tomorrow. Now, what's interesting about this idea that God's favor is as certain as the rising of the sun is the fact that we live our lives assuming and taking for granted the fact that we're going to have another day tomorrow, that the sun will rise. And let me just be clear, to assume the fact that the sun is going to make one rotation between now and tomorrow, that's not foolish at all. My point is that we live our lives with the certainty that the sun will rise tomorrow and there will be a new day. We plan how to spend and earn and save our money based on the fact that there will be more days. We have calendars that showcase the events we're going to have based on the assumption that there will be new days. Every aspect of our lives that we live is assuming that tomorrow the sun will rise. And there's nothing wrong with that because, again, the sun will probably rise. We have to live our lives as if that is the case. But here's how that applies to God's favor. If we can live our lives so certain that the sun is going to rise to the point of planning our entire lives around this idea, believing it with such confidence, what this text is implying is we can 
take that same confidence and apply it to our view of God's favor. In other words, the confidence we have that we assign to the rising of the sun, we should also apply that to God's favor. When we think about God and his anger and his favor and his character and his love, we should approach it from the angle that his favor, his salvation, is certain. And I think that is a wonderfully comforting fact. That we can rest in that idea that God's favor will come no matter how long the night is. It may be a long night. A lot of the time we sin and we have to go through the consequences of those actions. Maybe we feel guilt because of that. But no matter what's happened, we can still rest in the fact that God's favor is certain. I was in church this morning, and uh, I forget how it came about, but you know the pastor mentioned uh, the phrase, Our sins they were many, your mercy is more. And I really like that phrase because it summarizes the, um, the relationship between the night and the morning. Our sins, they were many, but your mercy is more. His mercy is certain, and we can have confidence in that. But not only do we learn from the text that his favor is certain, we also learn the full extent of his favor. Again, I just want to read it one more time. Psalm 30, verse 5, For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry, for the night, but joy comes with the morning. What we see here is that his anger is compared to a moment, and his favor is compared to a lifetime. Now, I'm going to be honest. When I first read that, my first thought was, okay, well, how long is a moment exactly? Because, you know, I'd, I'd like to be aware of how long that is, so, you know, I'll understand when God isn't mad at me anymore. That was kind of the first thought I had, but that's not the point that the psalmist is making. The point the psalmist is making is the great difference between his favor and his anger. And again, this is really cool because I can kind of do the same thing. I can kind of prove without really any doubt that God's favor outweighs his anger. Because think about this. I bet that by the end of your life, when you're on your deathbed, if we could somehow talk to you and ask you, hey, do you remember that moment when you were listening to the 11th episode of Bible Beyond, you know, wherever it is that you are right now, I can basically promise that you wouldn't really remember the specifics of that moment because it's just a moment. And it doesn't mean much in comparison to the vast memories and experiences of your entire lifetime. So again, that's the second point that the psalmist is making. Not only is his favor certain, but also we see it demonstrated how great his favor is. So you may be wondering, how is it that God can have such favor? And how can this favor be so certain if he is a good God? How can he look at us so lovingly 
If we are the ones who have sinned against him, who have done wrong and poisoned his creation, how can he possibly look at us with favor? Remember what we talked about in the beginning of this episode. If God is a good God, he must condemn, he must judge that which is evil. And because we as humans have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, where does that put us? Not in his favor. Or at least it shouldn't. But again, as we're seeing throughout Scripture, God does favor us. So what changed that allowed us to be in God's favor. The reason that you and I today can experience God's love and favor and have a relationship with him is not because of anything we did, but because of what Jesus did. Because 2,000 years ago, a man named Jesus walked on the earth. And this man, this Jesus Christ, he was God in the form of a human. He lived a perfect life without sin, which no one else has ever done, and then he died on a cross. And remember, this punishment, this death, was supposed to be our reward. It was supposed to be the result of our actions because of God's anger. But instead of Jesus having the same experience of suffering because of what he did, he actually suffered because of what we did. Remember, he lived a perfect life, so God's anger was not on him. God favored Jesus because he had done no wrong. So why did he suffer? Why did he die on a cross? Why was he unjustly condemned? It's because his death was a sacrifice for us. On the cross, Jesus experienced the full and total extent of God's anger. Just like what was supposed to happen to us, he was the one who was cast down to the pit. He was the one who was sent down to Sheol. He was the one who was separate from God, who did not receive God's favor so that we could. John 3.17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And because Jesus bore our punishment, because he endured the wrath and anger of God, there's nothing that should separate us from God. There's no reason why we shouldn't be faced with his favor. The verse right before John 3.17 is John 3.16. And it says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish, should not go down to Sheol, should not be separated from God, but have eternal life and a lifetime of his favor. And on that note, I'd like to close us in prayer. Dear God, thank you for the fact that you have righteous anger and that you 
you want to judge sin, that you have that indignation. But more so, thank you for the favor that you've made available through Jesus. Thank you for sending him down to die for our sins so that we could have your favor. I pray that everyone listening would hear this and take advantage of that opportunity that you've laid out for them. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been the 11th episode of Bible Beyond. A huge thanks to my grandfather for producing the great music you're listening to right now. And thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more, come check back with us when we have a new episode up and ready. But until then, have a great day.